Hello, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with us is Melissa Kwan, third time Bootstrap founder, now growing eWebinar, an automated webinar platform that combines pre-recorded videos with real-time interactions. So we're here today to talk about Melissa's journey. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here. I know how busy you are and uh, you've been doing uh, podcasts a lot. And I, I really want to know how it aligns with your um, personal brand strategy and uh, with the way you, you sell the vision of, of the business that you're in. But first, could you talk a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I've been in startups for 13 years now. Uh, EWebinar is my third bootstrap startup. Um, so my previous two startups were both in the real estate tech space. Um, always been in sales and business development. Um, been nomading now for four years, um, even though we had a we right now have a home base in Amsterdam. Um, the last home I had was in New York. Um, and you know, eWebinar is a product that I wish existed in my previous company. Um, also an idea about, uh, that was born out of bootstrapping. So I was the person that was doing all of the demos, onboarding, training, all those repetitive webinars, um, and wished that I had a product that would do that for me while I could just go and live my life. So that's exactly the problem I'm solving for other founders and, and teams like myself is we turn any video into an interactive webinar that you can set on a recurring schedule. So you can do hundreds of them without actually being in front of the camera live. Okay, that's very interesting. I think it's a great problem to solve. So at what point did you decide that you're going to, to build a product like that? I mean, you're moving from prop tech. This is still a huge step of, out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was that huge. I think technology is, is technology. It doesn't really matter what industry you're in. You're just solving a problem. And of course, like this problem of doing the same thing over and over again was something I lived with for five years. So it was just something I, I, I just knew intimately well. And, you know, as in the past, as I would complain to my other vendor buddies about it, everybody has this problem and they try to solve it, you know, in a different way, right? Some companies are much larger than, than others. So they might have like hundred percent or a hundred person customer success team, but most companies don't have that. So it was just something that I, that was in the back of my mind for a long time. Um, and then I started this company two months after my previous company was acquired, uh, mainly because I saw how fast customer expectations, like consumer expectations were, were rising. And I just didn't want to wait another few years before, you know, we have even higher expectations of how something is going to work before I put something out there. So um, I didn't really start a company because I love starting companies. That's what people think. Um, but, you know, I sold my company for, like pretty good money, but not retirement level. So I don't want to work forever. Um, and I just, I felt like, you know, the urgency to start something else because this was something that I couldn't, I couldn't let go of my mind. Um, but also I just, I wanted to get into something else right away. Cause I didn't, I didn't want to spend like the next 10 years working. Success is not repeatable, right? Just because you had one in the past does not mean that you're going to have one in the future. Right. I think that's a misconception. Um, there are certain things that do get easier because, for example, you have, you know, maybe an existing list of customers that you can 
you know, that you can call on, or you've learned how to hire better or how to vet people better or how to validate an idea better. Uh, but there's still a process that you need to go through, right? You can only build as quickly as time allows or as many people that you have or as much resource, uh, resources that you have. So there are definitely um, learnings that I brought into this company that was able to shorten, I guess, time to market and time to value. But you know, every day is a challenge. Um, and I think like, even though you have experience building product and companies, people change, right? Like consumers change how they want to learn about things, how you can market to them, how, how you can sell to them has significantly changed, right? Um, from, from what things were like even a couple of years ago, like if you think about where we consume content and marketing mediums, you know, consumer behavior. So as things are still changing, um, even though you know how to build product, you still have to learn, you know, a lot of new things. But I joke about this a lot, but there is truth to it. I think this will be my last tech company. <laughs> okay, so no, no fourth time. <laughs> no, I think I think after this, my my goal in life will be to convince people away from starting tech companies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, but uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the exit, right? So why did you decide to exit? And was it uh, in your in your plans from the very beginning? And like, what is the mindset for eWebinar? Yeah, I mean, my previous company was a much more difficult product. Um, it was very niche. It was really only in the US. We had some Canadian clients, but not a lot. Like it was just a very, very niche product for a niche set of customers. So um, we, we couldn't really expand beyond where we were without a lot more effort. Um, I didn't like, you know, starting a tech company in the past, I didn't really have, you know, entrepreneur friends or I didn't come from an entrepreneur family. So starting a company to exit was really um, a brand new concept to me. It was something that I had to learn. Like I thought I was just starting a business and this business was going to create a lifestyle for me. Um, but then as you know, you get into, into the industry, you realize, oh, people actually build tech companies to sell. Um, and I wasn't really looking for an exit, but I was pretty tired of where I was. Um, and you know, a friend of mine had said, Hey, if you're actually looking to sell, we're looking to make our first acquisition. So that was actually how the conversation came to be. I didn't put on a dog and pony show and hire a banker and go pitch a bunch of companies. Like I, I just wanted to change. I wanted to do something else. And someone that I could envision myself working for, because you, no matter who you sell to, you have to work for them for, you know, one to three years, um, was looking to, to absorb us into their company. So, um, it was just an opportune time. And funny enough, I was actually complaining to him about how I didn't want to do this anymore. And then he was like, oh, like maybe this, maybe this um, could be a potential partnership, but you have to stay. So um, that was why I sold. I didn't sell because it was like a thriving business. I was okay. It was definitely profitable, but I was just tired of running in and I was ready to do something else. Um, and also I was seeing that there was a lot of things happening in the world that I wasn't a part of. So the opportunity cost of doing something else that was more interesting was bigger than what I was actually creating out of, out of this company. Um, and at that point I'd been in real estate for like more than 10 years and I was just ready for, for a new challenge. Um, and I think with the e-webinar, um, of course, like if one day this thing sells, it would be amazing. Like everybody, you know, everybody wants an exit at some point, but if you build a company because you want to exit, it's going to be a very tough road 
because very few companies, very few percentage of companies actually like actually get an exit, right? So you have actually more companies that more companies in the middle, like between zero to a, to unicorn, there are a lot of like gray area companies that actually give everybody involved a really good life. That's, that's why I started it. I wanted to start eWebinar to give myself and my partner freedom to do what we want. Um, we have some friends and family investors, even though we're bootstrapped, right? So we want to give our friends and family also, um, you know, passive income and a lifestyle that they wouldn't otherwise have if this were to be successful, fully understanding that this might go to nothing, right? That was the first conversation that we had. But like if eWebinar could be an ATM machine that could just, you know, give everybody involved a good income um, and we could have fun doing it, that's what, that's why we're doing this. And if along the way, this becomes a really valuable company for someone else, unless it's a life-changing generational wealth exit, it's not worth selling. Because if this paid everybody a really good salary every single month and it allowed us to call all of our own shots for the next 10 years, for the next 15 years, that's more valuable to me than somebody buying this right now for 10 times revenue or 20 times revenue because our revenue is just not that high, right? To justify that, right? But if we're at, you know, 10 million ARR and someone were to give me 10 times revenue and we own 90% of the company, I mean, that's a very different conversation. So that's the mindset right now is like, first we want to take care of ourselves. We want to make sure that the business is profitable. And then if one day this becomes a valuable exit for, for all of us, and we never have to work again, then that would be pretty cool. That's a, that's a great one. I think uh, I think it's really um, a very holistic approach to it. Like let's let's everybody thrive. Let's let's have a lifestyle that we want, but but not uh, maybe shoot for the stars. Um, instead of just going after hyper growth and just uh, killing ourselves trying to get to this huge exit of a lifetime. Uh, I really like it. Yeah. I mean, I think not enough entrepreneurs think about their lifestyle. And I write a lot about this. I talk a lot about this is like, when you build a company, the product that you put out there is important, but not as important as the lifestyle you want to have while you're building this, right? So if I take VC money, I am forced to hyper grow this company and my lifestyle could be very different. I'm nomadic, but if I take someone else's money, maybe they're going to want me to have a physical location in an office and I'm going to have to hire people in a certain location and we have to do all this team building stuff. And that's the show that I'm going to have to put on for my VCs. And that's going to take away the thing right now that gives me the most joy, which is living wherever I want, getting up whenever I want. I don't set an alarm clock and having everybody be remote and I can hire anybody that I want. Everybody's a contractor nobody's a full-time employee, right? So for me, the lifestyle that I have while building the company is so much more important than, you know, what this could be if it were to be a unicorn, right? But I think when you say shoot for the stars, like it, it that to me is very, a, a very personal thing. Right. For someone else, shooting for the stars might be like an IPO, right? Or like a billion dollar exit. For me, shooting for the stars is having something that allows me to have freedom for the rest of my life and never work again. So that could be, you know, $5 million, depending on where I live, or it could be $10 million, right? It doesn't have to be a hundred, right? So I'm not, I'm not really that greedy, 
So I always, you know, encourage other entrepreneurs to really think about like, what does success mean for you? Like not defined by someone else or like a TechCrunch article, right? But what is enough for you? And then work backwards to get there and, and make that your goal instead of, you know, putting ego first and saying, oh, I have to have this thing, right? And if you do, if you, if you feel like, oh, I have to have this, this thing, like I have to do this moonshot thing, like, are you doing it for the right reason? So do you think a lot of founders uh, are pressured by the media or by other founders to go after VCs money and to have this uh, metric, I raised a fund as a success metric? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that and, and I've written a lot about it. I talk a lot about this, you know, on, on other people's podcasts and on my own podcasts, you know, profit led as well is like, I live through that. Like when I moved to New York from Vancouver, I was surrounded by other founders that were like, everybody was raising money, right? Everybody was from like Harvard or MIT or something fancy. And there was all these meetups and everyone's asking you if they can intro you and if you can intro them and what you're building and what series you're raising. And then that really makes you feel like, oh, if I don't bring in some money from, from some brand name VC, then I'm not doing something important. Then I don't have a license and the right to build something that's also important, you know, that's front page worthy. And that's really toxic, right? I think if that's what you want, then you should go for it. But if that's what you think you want, because you know your next door neighbor in a WeWork is doing it, then you have to really recalibrate, right? And think, what are the things that are important to me? And and I think you know you read all these cool things in the media, and you want to be a part of that. And the only people that want to be a part of that are people that aren't really getting off the ground yet. Like if you're doing something that you know is important, that's giving you revenue, that you have raving fans and happy customers, you don't actually need someone else to validate that you have a good business. The only people that are chasing that are people that need external validation because maybe they need more customers. Maybe they need to chase growth. Maybe they need more money and they need to create this facade that they're actually doing something meaningful, but you don't really need someone else to tell you you're good if you are actually good yourself and you're and you're resolved in in what you're doing was it was it the reason why you you are bootstrapped the third time and why you went nomadic like is it all part of seeking that freedom within the business and outside of it no. And the reason why I know the story so well, um, is because I tried to raise money like in my first company or sorry, my, in my second company, Spacio, which was ultimately acquired. Um, I, when I moved to New, I moved to New York to grow this company and I was constantly out of money. Like I never had any money. We couldn't get any customers. Like we would get one or two, but then we couldn't get it off the ground. And it was a really tough time. Right. So I just tried to get money either from customers or either from investors or, or VCs, like anywhere I could, and nobody would give me money. And as I was trying to raise money, I was also trying to iterate on the product and close more customers. And because nobody gave me money, we ended up becoming profitable. And then I realized the only people that have to give you money are your customers. And once you can float yourself, you can call all of your own shots. Um, you can go anywhere you want. And, you know, I, I, at that point I had spent already something like six or seven years, um, chasing bills, like chasing like 15th and 30th needing to pay, like needing to make payroll. 
And as we were getting closer and closer to profitability, I was freeing up some mind share to think about what I personally wanted. Like I just didn't even have any breathing room. I was constantly in survival mode. And I realized I wanted to do something for myself after so many years of doing something for someone else. And I just asked myself, like, if I were to build this company and everything was going to be hard anyway, what is the one thing that I could do for me? And I didn't really travel a lot as a kid or even as an adult up to that point. And I realized like I wanted to leave New York and travel full time. And I wanted to do this from Airbnbs. And I, you know, I, at that point I was paying so much money for my room in New York. I, I had a shared house where like five other people lived and I was, I was taking the same rent and like going to Airbnb and see, seeing like what else I could get for like $4,000 a month American. And so I realized like I could actually get a lot more and have life experiences. So the reason to go nomadic was because I just wanted to try something different and I wanted to do something for me. And it didn't matter anyway, because at that point my team was in Canada um, and I was in New York and we were always remote because we couldn't afford an office. So it didn't really make a difference. I was remote before it was cool. Um, and that was actually the decision is like, I just wanted to do something that made me happy. Um, and then a year after that, Spacio was acquired by another company. Okay, that's amazing. All right. Uh, so let, let's talk more about eWebinar, right? Your, your third rodeo and... Uh, uh, what is it like? Why um, why you were doing it? Why did you start it? How did you start it? How do you find your uh, first customers and the product market fit? Was it any easier? Was it any faster? I mean, it's definitely easier because this is a product that people actually want. <laughs> like my last company, um, <laughs> like we built that company for five years, but two and a half years of those, we didn't have any customers because we just couldn't. Like we couldn't find a product that people would pay for. Like we just kept iterating on something. Um, with eWebinar, like while we built it in, in, in a silo for, for two years, like we started charging people from day one. Like this was a product that was desirable from day one. So that was, you know, something that I learned, like being able to vet an idea and, and come up with an idea that someone would actually pay for before you build any code. Like that was something that I had to learn um, in, you know, from my experience building two other startups. Um, but as I mentioned before, like eWebinar solves a problem that I personally live with. So because we were bootstrapped, in the past, I was the, I was everything except for code. So I was like sales, marketing, product, accountant, like janitor, like I was literally everything. So I was the person that would do all these sales demos, onboarding and training sessions through GoToWebinar or Zoom um, to my customers. So anyone that sells SaaS right now knows that like onboarding and training is just as important or if not more important than the initial sale. But the problem was every single one of these webinars were exactly the same and then nobody would show up for them. Like I remember rolling out for a 7,000 person company and like 30, per, like 30 people showed up for the, for the launch session. And then people like my customer would want me to do it again and again and again, but I didn't have anyone doing them. And especially for these onboarding and training sessions, people want webinars. They don't want to watch a video. Like they want something that they can interact with and ask questions. So I would, I was envisioning this product that would take the perfect video and turn it into a webinar that has a live chat component. So I could be, you know, at a restaurant doing the webinar and still responding to chats from my phone. And like, there's similar products that kind of existed, but nothing exactly the way that I envisioned. Um, and so 
after Spatio was acquired, I decided to solve this particular um, problem once and for all. So eWebinar is exactly that. Like we take your perfect video, whether it's a sales demo or an onboarding session, we turn it into a webinar so you can do it a thousand times without being in front of a camera. And the thing that makes us competitive and different is we've got an asynchronous chat component, kind of like an intercom chat where you can respond to people live if you're there, but if you're not and you respond later, people get an email. And then throughout the session, you can program in things like, um, you know, polls, questions, uh, quizzes, contact forms to make the experience more of a two-way experience and not like a one-way video consumption. And because people have something to do, they're more likely to watch till the end where you could deliver, you know, your CTA or, you know, whether that be like book a call or, you know, another session. So that's, um, that's what it does. And how we got our first hundred customers is really just me like hitting the phones and emails and telling people, Hey, this is my next thing. Can I get on the phone with you and show you what I do? And ironically, I was doing the same thing that this product is supposed to solve. Right. So for eight weeks straight, I was just doing like one-on-one -on -one demos with people like on zoom, introducing myself again to my old customers. Um, cause I, I knew that they were living this problem and I knew that they were solving it some other way, like whether they were using a video on YouTube or Wistia or putting it on their knowledge base or doing zoom sessions, but not enough. Um, so I probably personally onboarded our first hundred customers before we move to a more like one-to-many product like growth strategy. Okay. All right. That, that's great. And uh, obviously that was the first push, right? So once you started growing, getting more, more customers, what works best for you? Is it content? Is it SEO? Is it the fact that you, uh, you grow your personal brand? Uh, so what is it for you? I mean, it's all of those things, right? Like I came into this company thinking it was going to be much easier than it actually is. Um, I've only ever sold one-on-one, -on -one. like sales is my background, marketing is not my background. So my previous companies, I always sold enterprise products that were like 10,000 to a hundred thousand a year. So the sales is just me reaching out, going to conferences, um, checking in, right? Like it's, it's much easier to sell to somebody one-on-one -on -one than sell to someone that is just somewhere in the internet where they have to come to your website and sign up uh, for a trial and then maybe they convert and maybe they don't, but it's the, it was the business I wanted to build, right? One of the things that I learned in my previous, from my previous company was I didn't want to build a company that required me to do one-on-one -on -one sales. Like, I don't want to get on a call at 4 a.m. in Kyoto, right? I want to just live my life and do all of my sales and all my support on the internet. I want people to be able to find me. I don't want to hop on a plane and go into a conference and set up a booth, which is what is required when you're selling enterprise products. So I wanted a product that has no customization, like what you see is what you get. And I wanted something with a low price point that people could not demand my time one-on-one. -on -one. So like I wanted to build like a MailChimp, not a Salesforce. So, um, coming into, coming into this, um, I want, like, I thought it would be much easier because I didn't have an experience doing digital marketing. And then I realized that when you're selling a hundred dollar product and you try to reach out to someone, no one cares about you. Only people that know you are going to respond because that's not how they buy, right? Like MailChimp is not going to have a sales force that's 
that's doing outbound calls because people are like, Hey, it's 50 bucks. Like I'm not going to return your call for 50 bucks. I'm going to return your call for $50,000. Cause that's how I buy. So I didn't learn that until probably like six months after the product launched and I had exhausted my entire network. And then I tried to cold call. Cause that's what I, that's what I know. I tried to cold call people of like, you know, that were like VP of sales or VP of customer success, but I couldn't get anyone to respond. And then I realize products like this is only grown through, you know, customer led or product led growth and marketing. So that's when I actually took Justin Welsh's course on LinkedIn operating system. Um, and then I realized like the future of sales is community led through social validation. People want to do their own research, their own education. They want to learn about this on their own. They want to read review sites. They want to learn about you on LinkedIn. They want, they don't want to be sold to. So now 80% of my time is spent on content generation. And then 20% of my time is spent on distribution and doing podcasts is actually one distribution channel. Um, and writing on LinkedIn once or twice a day is one, is one of those things as well. So I think for the first time, people care just as much about the story behind the product and the brand and the people as much as what the product does. It's no longer enough to just put a good product out there, right? People want to know like, what's the mission? What is this made of, right? Like, are you donating to anything? Like, who are the founders from? Like, and, and that's not just software. That's also physical products, right? So now you see all these founders and executives of companies being content creators on, you know, Twitter and on LinkedIn. And I'm really only seeing that, I guess, in, in the past couple of years now that I've been doing it. Um, and that's how people, you know, either they learn about me or they learn about my product. So this is kind of a whole new world. Um, it's probably a hundred times harder than anything I've ever done before, but it's also a thousand times more rewarding because it's not just me picking up the phone or me sending one email and it stops there. Every piece of content that I create has evergreen value, right? The podcast that we're doing today someone might find it like two years from now, right? Cause they're going back to, you know, the first few episodes kind of thing. Right. So it's, it's an interesting new world, um, but it's definitely much more challenging um, and, and just harder. How much of, uh, of the content generation and the branding should come from a founder, especially uh, of an early stage startup, do you think? Um, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, there's nobody else, um, that is more important than a startup founder, especially in the early stages. Right. Like, and I think it kind of depends too. Is it, is it a tiny startup like me or is it, a, you know, a super well-funded startup with all-star founders like superhuman, right? Those are, those are two categories of startups, right? Like if you have one of those startups, you might be hiring an all-star team of people that already have pedigree and every single one of your executives, especially if they already have some following and some audience should be creating content and should be putting their voice out there. But you know, if you're a small startup and everyone's trying to do 10 different jobs and you don't have an existing audience, like maybe you can hold off on that a little bit, but the founders, um, especially the business founder, maybe not, you know, the, the tech founder, um, should be out there like creating content. And, and this is actually one of my biggest regrets is 
for the two years that we're, we were building eWebinar, I didn't do anything. Like I didn't know, right? I, I was still working for my previous company. I had a contract with them, like after they bought my company. And I was just sitting there working for them and waiting for this to get built so that my job would come up next. Had I known back then what I, what I know today, I would have started to brand myself. I would have gotten on podcasts that talks about acquisitions and mergers um, and, and startups, right? Like when it was still fresh, like I don't go on podcasts or like I don't talk to people about the acquisition anymore because it was like two years ago or three years ago. So there were definitely things that I could have done that would have, I think, accelerated uh, my current journey. But, you know, hopefully this, this tip is going to help someone else today. Right. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I have a quote from uh, one of your previous episodes. A sale is just the first day of the rest of your relationships with the customer. And first of all, I absolutely love it. 100% agree with it. But uh, could you talk a little bit about the way you now strategize your acquisition and retention of the customers? Yeah, so I think that quote was from... Um probably something about customer success, like, and, and I've been trying to be an advocate of this, but you know, I'm obviously not loud enough, but I think a lot of people, um, they put a lot of emphasis on sales and investing in sales teams because it's revenue. Like there is a direct tie to revenue, right? Anna's going to close this deal that it brought in 50 grand today. But what they don't think about is the years after somebody becomes a customer, that they're still paying you that 50 grand a year plus the upsell. And, and maybe you increase your price in year three and four, right? So your customer happiness team, right? Your customer success team is actually worth three to five times your sales team. But all this money and all this emphasis and all these salaries are getting pumped into sales when customer success is actually the people that are keeping your customers there and, and happy and upselling them. So that's where that came from is I think more money and more investment should go into customer success. And as people are trying to, um, trim the fat, I guess, of, of their, of their companies right now, like everybody's laying people off. I, I really think they should be looking at like sales and, and marketing redundancies. Um, like having been in sales for 15 years, I can confidently say that 90% of people I meet cannot actually sell. They're just, account managers, they might as well be on the CS team because they're good at farming. They're not good at hunting. Right. So that I, I think, um, and, and that's what I think about is like, how can we invest more in keeping the customers happy after they sign on? So that means really quick responses, making sure that, um, everyone that's responding to, to customers knows exactly what they're talking about. They're not just being nice. They're actually knowledgeable. So we, for example, we would save as many canned responses as we can so that when we are not available ourselves, that someone else that's on that, that's monitoring our, our inbox, um, can just find the answer so that people aren't, you know, people aren't frustrated. We make sure that the product onboards itself as much as possible. Kind of like what the Apple philosophy, I guess, right? Like there's not. If you need instructions to onboard people, um, then your product is already too complicated. So make sure that when somebody uploads a video, the product actually walks them through the next steps. So we don't have tool tips, 
right? We don't, we don't actually have like any sort of in-app language that helps people onboard or our product kind of does it on its own. Um, and then anywhere that people, anywhere where we're seeing, you know, people ask more questions, we try to look at the UI and see like, how can we make that better? Because part of that, I mean, part of that is making sure the product is as easy to onboard as possible so people don't get frustrated. But part of that is because we're a bootstrap team. We don't have extra time to respond to, you know, to respond to support and uh, extra time to, to help our customers. We don't do one-on-one -on -one calls with our customers. Either you figure it out yourself or you might churn. And we have to be okay with that because we just don't have enough people. So that's how I think about it is like, how can we make sure the product is as easy as possible so that our customers can get educated as fast as possible on their own? And if they do have a question, how do we make sure that everybody on our team that's responding has the, has all the information possible on hand to help that person right then and there? That's great. I, I actually, um, I'm, I'm listening to you talking about the, the fact uh, that, that you're obviously bootstrapped and how you work around it. Do you think that uh, the fact that you, uh, you're you bootstrapped and any team, basically, it, it adds to uh, a scrappiness, to a certain level of scrappiness where you, um, you are looking for the best outcome possible, uh, but on a very, very tight or no budget whatsoever. And that often leads to a more creative and just in general, better outcome. Well, I definitely think desperation breeds creativity, right? Like everything we do is to make sure we reduce time and effort and, and cost. Um, so I think that's the one thing that funded companies don't have is they can afford the mistake. So, you know, for example, um, you might, you might be going for growth and revenue. So you pump a, a bunch of money into ads and then you get a bunch of signups, but you're not looking at churn and you're not looking at spend. You're not looking at profitability. You might be looking at revenue and your monthly revenue is still going up because people are signing up, but they might be just staying for one or two months. We can't afford to pump money into ads. We have zero money spent on ads. The only ads that we invest in are retargeting ads, people that come to our site and then we retarget them elsewhere, but that's our own audience. So we definitely want to own our own brand name and our own audience, but we don't have money to create false revenue. So any mistake, any like leaky bucket, um, that we have, we have to fix it right away. And I think that creates a much tighter product and that forces you to create a business around value for customers and not value for investors. And I think that's the biggest difference between a bootstrap company and a well-funded company. I mean, eventually, um, a, a funded company has to build a sustainable business anyway, but in the beginning where feedback counts the most, I think is when they might fall short because they're, they're missing out on things because they're getting, um, you know, positive reinforcement, maybe for, for some negative behavior. Um, and they might catch that, you know, much later on. All right. Uh, so yeah, just a couple of more questions. And a uh, first one, something that I ask every founder out there, what is your biggest win and the biggest failure so far as a founder or as a business? So what is my biggest win and biggest failure? Failure. Um, just in general, like not for eWebinar, right? As a 
You mean in general? Uh, can be can be anything as a founder, as the the whole journey as a founder, or or take a webinar. Yeah, I think my biggest win, um, I think my biggest win to date is making my life partner my co-founder. So David's my CTO um, and my co-founder, but he's also my life partner. It didn't start like that, but it ended up like that um, a year into the e-webinar journey. Um, I can't imagine building a company with anyone else or, or any other way. Um, that, so that's definitely my biggest win. And And, and the thing is like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it could be super disastrous, but in my, in my case, it definitely worked. Um, and I would say that in, in my biggest failure and something that I'm, I've learned from is hiring friends and letting emotions get involved. Like I think hiring friends is okay. But when you let your emotions get involved and you're not evaluating them for what they like for their, for their contribution as you would, if they were not your friend, um, that's where challenges come in. Right. So I would say like certain friendships are definitely not the same. Um, and my biggest, I guess, financial mistake was because of this as well. So definitely something I've learned. Um, and I think some people listening to this would be like, oh yeah, that's why I don't hire friends. Sometimes your friends are just good for the job, right? So I still hire people that I know. I still hire friends, but I have the conversation up front to say, Hey, if it doesn't work out, like let's both put that on the table and not like delay that conversation. Like I want that to happen both ways. Um, so right now, like get that out of the way, but, um, it's definitely something that, um, I'm glad that I've learned. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of founders, uh, get hit by this uh, at some point. And then there is a lot of um, sadness involved because it's not just the business, it's also your relationship. And it's, um, yeah, it just adds up to the stress. But uh, I have one bonus question for you. Uh, what do you think is the most overrated SaaS trend right now? Yeah, I think it is low code slash no code. Um, having started three tech companies, and how much code I know requires to have a tech company, um, I just cannot see anyone having a real, like profitable SaaS company that doesn't require like a lot of code or custom code. Like, I think like if you were to have like a small thing that does one single function, like maybe that could work and, and like no customization, or if you were to build like an MVP of something, um, before you move on to something much more complicated, that could work, but I just don't see like any real, like big product being built, um, on like a low code product. I'm waiting for someone to prove me wrong though. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually coming, my, my background is in a low code, uh, platform startup. So I could talk about it a little, but <laughs> let's put it off for now, but that's very interesting. I, I think I, I, um, I've heard it a lot, uh, about the limitations and, and the fact there is, uh, not too much customization, uh, involved. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about it next time. <laughs> it's a very broad topic. But uh, Melissa, it was great talking to you. I mean, uh, obviously you have very um, 
uh, I don't know, not I don't want to say assertive, no, but you have very strong beliefs in in bootstrapping and uh, how to do um, a product, how to build, how to build it well, and. Uh, I just I admire your determination. I think uh, eWebinar is a great product and uh, you certainly love it and uh, are doing everything to bring it to the next level. So thank you for sharing your story. Well, thanks for having me. And if anyone wants to connect with me, the best way is LinkedIn. Uh, my last name is Bell Kwan, K-W-A-N. And if you're curious about what uh, eWebinar can do for you and your business, um, just head over to eWebinar.com. We have a demo that is delivered through eWebinar. So very, very meta um, experience. And I always manage a chat. So um, looking forward to connect with anybody that's listening to this. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Melissa. And take care.